grab a Bible, jump into Matthew is where we're at today. Um, we have been moving through the story of God. Y'all know this. I'm not repeating it all. Uh, but we started in Genesis, and we've been following the story of God for a long time. Everybody who's here today has been here um, at some point along the way, and you know the story. So I won't repeat it, at least up to the point of saying that the section we're in now is the moment that we've been looking for uh, for more than a year of going through the Word, and that is God's presence on earth, Jesus, the Messiah, the seed promised to Eve is on the earth and is uh, ministering and will ultimately go to the cross in, to redeem man, and we'll talk about that. But today, we've made a jump. We've kind of moved through his life quickly, and there's so much there. And that's the cool part, is you have the four Gospels in your Bible, so you can read them anytime you want. You can read every. You can be like, well, well, we skipped or we skipped. Yeah, I know. That's okay. Go read it. You have it right there um, for you to look at. And if you want to read it chronologically where all of the stories are together, grab one of those copies of off the back table back there that has the breakup of it. And you can follow the story perfectly um, with all of the accounts aligned as it goes. So anyway, Matthew, those where we are, it's the first book in the New Testament. So it's towards the back. Um, and as always, you need a Bible. If you don't have one, snatch one off the back. And if um, you do have one, snatch one off the back and give it to somebody when you leave. All right. Today, the seed is going to be our focus. The secret in the seed is what I'm calling this. So the secret in the seed. I remember when uh, uh, when I first like got out of the world, like I was, you know, y'all know my past, like a drug addict and, and a drug dealer and all that mess. But I remember all the way back, it started in, in early high school days, and I remember I was so bad back in the early high school days that any excuse to get out of class for me was a good one. So if, like, I even went to students staying straight assemblies, no kidding, I even had my students staying straight card and I dealt drugs in the high school. But for me, it was a way to get out of class, and I'd go sit in that student staying straight assembly and put headphones in or fall asleep or... You know, I don't remember what I did, read, draw, whatever. I didn't care a bit about being there. I just was glad I got out of class for a reason. And it was almost a joke, like nobody really believed I was there for any kind of good reason. Uh, but that's kind of the way I did it. Now, God's irony is when I came out of the world, he sent me right back to be one of those people, like the students staying straight guys, that would come in and speak in assemblies in high schools. So I went right back into high schools, and I'm trying to address those same issues with kids in high school. In fact, went right back to the same high school I graduated from on more than one occasion. Uh, but, and, and when I would go into the high schools, I'm pretty much speaking about prison or drugs, things I knew about, because I couldn't talk overtly about the gospel. Still can't. I, now I'm working with the high school football program as a character coach. Still can't overtly talk about the gospel, but I can weave in faith because it's part of my life, but that's it. So in any event, though, I'm going back and I'm talking just like this uh, to, to people in high schools about drugs and about uh, wise choices and, and uh, particularly about being clean. And uh, I would always say, because I know, because I was sitting there too once upon a time, I got where I would always start out by saying, I know, I'm, I know some of y'all are not going to pay attention to anything I say today. And that's perfectly okay because I'm not here for you. 
And they would all be like, what? You know? And I'd say, but for some of you, I know you're going to hear what I say. And, and so that's the way I would start things. Well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing today, in a sense, is a very similar kind of statement. So your, your one point thing here is sharing God's word with everyone is our responsibility, but it's God who reveals it to the heart that's prepared for it, okay? Sharing God's word is our responsibility, but it's up to God to reveal it to the people who are prepared to hear it. So look at verse 1, and we'll go through this um, pretty quickly. Chapter 13, Matthew 13, chapter 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. What house? What day? What blood? Well, go back and read. You can go back and look that up in your own time. It's his story. Go back and follow it. But he sat down beside the sea. The sea is the Sea of Galilee. He's probably in Capernaum. And sitting was how rabbis taught. So for him to come out and sit, like I'm standing. That's how our culture is used to somebody teaching in their culture, a rabbi sits down. So when a, a rabbi took a seat, everybody knew he's about to teach. So he does that. Great crowds gathered around him so that he had to get into a boat. So he drifts a little bit off the shore and sits back down in the boat to teach. And the crowds are just cluttered all of the beach. Now, Molly and I have been to Israel, and there's a place where they believe these things occurred. Uh, it's kind of a natural amphitheater of rock and stuff that dumps into the ocean or the sea there. So if you were standing at the sea, you'd be projecting into this kind of hillside, and the rocks would echo like crazy, so it would carry your voice. So that's likely the environment. The whole crowd stood on the beach. So he's sitting down there, standing there to hear, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. So what's a parable? Well, the Greek word is parabolo. Para means alongside. Baro means to... Or balo means to cast or to throw. So a parable is typically a fictitious story, typically, told alongside of a physical reality, but it's to highlight or hide spiritual truth. So it's told alongside, it's a fictitious story that's told alongside a physical reality to highlight some kind of spiritual truth or even hide it. We'll come to that. Parables use similes and metaphors. So sometimes it's just a statement like Matthew thirteen thirty one says the kingdom uh, is like a mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom is like a mustard seed. You, you know, he goes on. Or he would say, I am the vine, you are the branches in John 15. He's not literally saying I am a plant. It's a metaphor, right? Um, sometimes there would be whole short stories like the Good Samaritan or the prodigal son, if you know those stories. They weren't, they weren't literal people. They were stories told or parables told. But they're not allegory either. A parable is not an allegory. Allegory is when you have trees that walk or animals that talk. You got like a C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia scenario or something. That's, that's allegory. Parables are not that. Parables use literal things. Literal people, literal places, literal natural behavior what would natural behavior look like in these people? It, it, it's, it's to illustrate a spiritual aspect of God's kingdom. And you can look like you could go through them all and read them. But verse 24, chapter 13, verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then often parables end with, let him who has ears to hear, hear. 
Meaning, do you understand me? Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. Look at verse 3. Let's pick back up there in verse 3. A sower went out to sow, verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depths of soil, though. When the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. So a sower, it's different from the way we do things now. They would have this pouch, you know, slung over them, their shoulder, like a, maybe leather or cloth, and it would have been full of seed. And they just walk along tossing that seed across ground that has likely been prepared for it. Um, it's likely to, uh, tilled up ground that's been prepared, and they walk and they toss it. But there's also rocky spaces. There's also going to be uh, pathways nearby. There's also going to be the potential for weeds, just like we have the potential for weeds now. All of those things were things they dealt with. But but the the guy just walks, or a woman, if it is the case, just walks and scatters the seed, tossing it out. Not too concerned with where it lands. Um Focused perhaps on the soil, but at the same time, if some hits over here, some hits over there, they're not crying about it. They're tossing all the seed. But what lands in the soil, they're expecting is going to produce something. Like that's the whole point of it being tossed and it hitting the soil. Um, the sower is also not expecting the same fold from every plant. Not expecting that every plant is going to produce exactly the same amount of the same thing. Uh, but he is expecting some kind of multiplied amount, not just one. See that? A hundred, uh, sixty, thirty. Disciple making is that way. It's multiplication, not addition. It's not your disciple, make a disciple. It's your disciple, make disciples. It should be multiplying, uh, multiple fold here, not, not just one. Look at verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, why are you talking in parables? We might say, why are you telling riddles? You know, Verse 11, he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he'll have an abundance from the one who has not. Even what he has will be taken away. Man, it sounds like Jesus is getting harsh here. And he is. He's creating a separation. If you don't see that, then I don't know what else to tell you. It's a plain, plain as day. It's a separation. Look at verse 11. To you and to them. There's two different kinds of people here. He tells to them, it has been given to know secrets, mysteries. Literally, it's that which is hidden. God alone reveals this. It's been given to you to know, so it's something that comes from God. What mysteries? What secrets? Well... People love to go all over the place with these things, like we're UFOs, you know, I don't, I don't know, conspiracies, all kinds of ideas of what the secrets are. Or maybe they get in the Bible and they say, well, if you, if you look behind the words, there's secrets in the, in the Hebrew language when you look at this and that and the other thing and you draw this together and you pull that together. If you look at the meaning of this word versus the meaning of that, just digging deep and trying to find these mysteries or secrets, it's not about any of that. It's what the words actually say about the kingdom of God. 
If you're honest and you read the Bible, do you ever get confused? (laughs) I mean, I'm a pastor and have been for more than 20 years, and I still do. I mean, study is not just because I I feel like it. It's because I need to know. Sometimes it's confusing. So what's actually written there, in a lot of cases, is mystery enough. But for these guys in the New Testament, when Jesus is on the earth, there's a lot of mystery Like, for instance, maybe it was an Old Testament truth that wasn't quite clear. Like, for instance, there would be two, one Messiah, but two comings. Nobody saw that. But he's going to come as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. But he's also going to come as a conquering king, which multiple prophets talk about. Um, Or it could have been things that weren't anticipated in the Old Testament. The word church is nowhere in the Old Testament. Nobody saw that coming. That was something that Jesus built. Uh, If you're his disciple, though, the parables should help you gain understanding from his word. They should help you be able to see his word and gain understanding. But if you're not a disciple, he said, even what you have is going to be taken from you. What he's saying there is that his word then may become more confusing than it is enlightening. You may have a basic understanding of a few things, but then you hear a parable or read something, and then you're like, man, I don't get this at all now. Now I, now I don't get it at all. And, and it's not going to have any power in your life because you don't really believe what's in it anyway. You don't understand it totally. And even if you do understand it a little bit, it has no practical value to you. I remember a, a chef that I worked for years ago that was a, a very outspoken, loud lesbian woman. And I say that because she wanted the world to know that. Uh, and one day... And I wasn't living right either at the time. But one day, I had a Bible sitting on my desk. I don't even remember why. Maybe it was right as I was coming out of the world around that time period. But she came in and asked me, have you read this? And I was like, yeah. She goes, yeah, I read it too. It's got some cool stuff in it. You know, that was her whole perception of the Bible for the most part. Same kind of idea. So it's worthless to her from where she is now, apart from something God does. Paul notes that there's the same separation in how people respond to the cross. First Corinthians one eighteen, he wrote, For the word of God, word of the cross, is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He's saying to those people who are lost, they look at the cross and go, This is stupid. You're believing in this dude who's nailed on this thing two thousand years ago? To us we look at it and fall apart, like thank you, Jesus. Like that's the It's a total different approach. But before going on, let me make sure you understand the backstory, okay? So what we haven't read, you can go back and read it in your own time. What we haven't read is that Jesus was preaching crystal clear. Go back and read Matthew 5 through 7, the most famous sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches in Matthew's account three straight chapters of just truth after truth after truth, beginning with blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the, blessed are the... I mean, he goes on and on and on and preaches. He's doing miracles. You can go back and look, man. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Healing people, doing all of these things. And just before this moment where he begins to talk in parables, they say the power that Jesus has to do all these things is from the devil. That he's possessed. That he has a demon. 
And that's how he's able to do. So after all the preaching he's done, after all the truth he's told, after all the miracles he's done, the people say it's a demon that's making you do it. So as a result, he moves to parables. He says Isaiah's judgment has come on this generation. Look what he says. He says, verse 13. Um, and this separation, again, it's going to give the disciples wisdom with the parables, but it's going to give the crowd only riddles. Verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, judgment, is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear, but not understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. That's from Isaiah 6. Josh talked about that, preached about that uh, up here, I don't know, months ago when we came through it. Verse 15. For these people's heart, Jesus said, has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed. They've closed their eyes to it. They can barely hear anything, lest they should see with their eyes and hear, uh, see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and then I'd heal them. So, despite what they've seen and heard, they refuse him as Messiah. They call him possessed. They've closed their eyes. Their ears are nearly shut. Jesus says, Isaiah's judgment has come upon this generation. And he says, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. It doesn't say blessed are you because you understand every word of the Bible. Blessed are you because you have a seminary degree. Blessed are you because of your Ph.D. He didn't say any of that. He just says blessed because you see and you hear. For I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it and hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. What do they see and hear that all these prophets and righteous people in the past did not? The him, yeah, the Messiah. They see him. They're there for it. You're him. And we see you and we hear you and we understand you. You're him. They they were looking forward to him, but didn't see him. Now, these guys are here and they see him. And Jesus gives three reasons for why he uses parables. And that we just read it. But one is for his disciples to understand truths about the kingdom of God through illustration. So some of them can be confusing and he explains them. Like this one, he's fixing to do it. Some of them, even the parable can be a little confusing, but he explains it because he wants his disciples to know. All right, that's one reason. Another reason that he used parables was to conceal it from the masses who had already rejected him. All right, and hiding truth in a parable is really nothing shocking. It sounds like he's being sneaky, deceitful, mean, cruel, whatever. It's nothing shocking because they don't want it anyway. He told them outright in black and white truths that they didn't want to hear. They said, you're of the devil. So what difference does it make if he's concealing it in some way? What would they do with it anyway? These parables are about a kingdom that they haven't submitted to and are unwilling to submit to. What would they want to know it for? Here, let me tell you some truths about the kingdom that you hate. Why, why would they care anyway? So it's not... It's not that big a deal. And the other thing, the third thing is it fulfills Scripture. Isaiah 6, he just said it. Also, later in the same chapter, you can just note or look down there in verse 34 of Matthew 13. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And this was to fulfill 
What was spoken by the prophet, this is in Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So from this moment on, Jesus speaks nothing but parables to the crowds. From this point forward, that's when he's talking to the crowds, that's what he's speaking is parables. But he also always makes sure that his disciples understand. He always makes sure that they understand. Look at verse 18, and he's going to explain it. Verse 18 says, Hear then the parable of the sower. So he told this parable to the crowds. The disciples said, Why are you speaking in parables? And what are you talking about? So he's got them aside now, and he says, Let me explain it to you guys. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. He he endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, not just because he's having a hard life, but because of what he claims to believe, Immediately, without hesitation, no, no, no struggle, no battle, no fight, no wrestle. Immediately, he says, well, this is too hard, and he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, two different things, cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. You could put and. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. So, four people here. Let's identify it so it makes sense. Four people here. Only one is a true believer. Only one is a disciple. Only one has found salvation. There's some debate among scholars that maybe he meant for the third one here on the list as well, but I don't think so. I'll tell you why. But he's clearly emphasizing the last one without a doubt. And I think that that's the case. The sower, who's the sower? That'd be Jesus in this case. Uh, But anybody who's casting the word ultimately, but in the story here, we're talking about Jesus who's bringing the word. The seed is what? The word. The word. Yeah, Matthew 4.14 I'm mean, sorry, Mark's account in four, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, The sower sows the word. Matthew 13, look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. So the word is the seed. And listen, it's the same seed everywhere. All four surfaces get the same seed. Nobody is trying to tailor make a seed that will grow in a rock. Nobody's trying to alter the seed to make it more attractive to the path. The seed is the same. The seed does not change. When I preach the word, guys, I hope that all I ever do is preach the word. I know we all got different backgrounds. We got different interests. There's different things going on. But I'm not going to try to figure out what the soil looks like in this room and tailor that seed to make you happy or me. The seed falls where the seed falls. My job is to cast it, in this case, preach it. Yours is too. I know I'm the preacher standing here, but you got the word too. The surface then is the heart of the person. You got a path, you got rocks, 
you got thorns and you got soil. That's the, that's the four environments which are describing the heart of the person who hears or that, where the seed's cast. The birds, in this case, that come are Satan and his forces. The sun is persecution and trials, and the weeds are life choices, you could say, life decisions. So the, the three things that attack the surfaces here, birds, Satan, sun, persecution and trials, or weeds, which are life choices. So the issue that Jesus is addressing here in this parable is not the sower, and it's not the seed, it's the surface. He's talking about the surface, the path. We'll pick them apart really quick. The path, that's a well-traveled piece of ground that would be along the uh, edge of the fields where he was trying to sow. It might be for workers to move around. It might just be, hey, it went right up along the path. If you go and you uh, look in the Gila River, if you go down here just south of the 202 uh, to the Gila River Res down there or go up on South Mountain even better and look off the south side, uh, you can see all of these fields and you can see hardened dirt paths that go all around them where either vehicles are driving or people are walking or whatever else. So that's the path. And he talks about the focus, though, is he talks about these birds like ravens that are perched in the branches of the trees. I mean, I get the picture of this now, like perched up in the trees and they're calling and maybe flapping their wings a little bit and they're looking all like, uninterested and nonchalant and indifferent, you could say, but they're watching real close. They're watching real close, and their heads jerk up and down and tilt side to side a little bit, but their eyes never move off of that seed. And they're just waiting patiently for the sower to walk on. And as soon as the sower walks on past the seed, they drop down and snatch it up and eat it. And... Jesus is saying that's what spiritual forces do to the word in your ears. Think about that. For That should be a bit creepy. I'm just saying. That should be just a little bit creepy. One author uh, said it this way. He said, you and I might miss a Sunday sermon. Satan doesn't. And he's talking about the forces of Satan here. You and I might neglect the word. He won't. The devil is the most regular and most attentive church attender. He does not eat for nourishment. He eats so that you won't. That sinners might not find or continue with Christ in his word. Some suggestions from the enemy are, what about lunch? Or that annoying mannerism the preacher keeps doing. Or the volcanic warmth in the sanctuary. Or Mr. Jones' glaring bald spot staring at you from the pew in front of you. Or Mrs. Jones' unavoidable perfume. Anything and everything but the word. He may keep you up late Saturday night so you can't stay awake. He may put a dozen different distractions around you in the service to take your mind away from the word. He may send thoughts into your mind about tomorrow's meeting with your supervisor. If he can only distract you so that the sounds coming out of the preacher's mouth... Go in one ear and out the other. He will have successfully taken away the word of God from you. Let us remember Satan on Sunday morning. What a wild statement to make. Let us remember Satan on Sunday morning. But it's a good point. Jesus said, the rocks, 
The rocks, you got the sun that scorches here, but the sun's not the issue. Because the same sun that scorches also gives life to the seed that's in the soil, right? You've got to have the sun for it to grow. So the sun itself is not an issue. The issue is the root. Without the deep roots in the word, when persecution comes, it's going to cause you to abandon your faith in two seconds. If you don't have deep roots in the word and in Christ, when persecution or struggle arises, you're out. I didn't sign up for this. I thought it was supposed to be good. I thought I was supposed to be happy. I thought I was supposed to be healthy. I thought I was supposed to be prosperous. But if your roots are deep in the word, if your roots are deep in Christ, then the same persecution will cause your faith to grow. You don't like it. Nobody likes it. But you will see opportunity in it to grow. It will strengthen your faith. It'll do the complete opposite. Not that you won't ever doubt or wrestle or struggle, but ultimately those roots will keep you grounded and you'll grow through that persecution instead of being demolished by it. The thorns, that would be the cares of the world. What are the cares of the world? I mean, we could list them. You, you don't have to shout. You don't have to say them, but just think about them. What are the cares of the world? Watch the news. I'll tell you what the cares of the world are. I don't care whether it's true or not true. That's beside the point. Popularity. That's a care of the world. Sex. That's a care of the world. Power. Politics. All those things are cares of the world. Also, he says, life or or finances, I mean, pursuing security in finances. That's the lie. Finance, money's not a problem. You've got to have money. Jesus had money. There was a money. Money is, is you've got to have it. That's not the issue. The lie of finances is believing that, that it can secure you. That if you have finances, you're good. If we just got this, we'll be okay. That, that's the lie. And he says these people prove unfruitful. Jesus said later, you will know them by their fruit. Listen, this is huge now. This is why I don't believe this third group is any kind of believer. The fruit proves the true identity of the tree, and they have no fruit. Nothing comes from their life. And it's scary, to be honest with you, because many may believe these people are true believers because of an experience they claim they had. Because of some prayer they claim they said... You know, or what they don't do. Hey, I'm a good person. I don't do this. I don't do that. Maybe this person's got to be a believer. But the fact is, the reality is seen by what's not there. What's not there is fruit. You know, the soil, we'll come to that in just a second, but the soil, the last one, that word soil suggests ground that is prepared to receive a seed is tilled or whatever in some way that ground is 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 made fertile it's ready to receive to accept a seed so all of these people here some receive it even joyfully but only one understands it and only one produces fruit only one understands and one produces fruit. That's it. Just one proves true. Not just in character, but in replication. He doesn't just, that one seed doesn't just, man, seed's great, grew a tree, but it produced multiple amounts of fruit. A hundred times in one case. 
What's creepy about this, guys, is in this parable, one out of four people who hear the word of God, regardless of how they respond, one out of four actually produces fruit to prove that it's in their heart. And Jesus is telling them that. I mean, how encouraging is that? You know what I mean? Matthew seven thirteen through 14, Jesus said this. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Everybody loves to talk about the narrow gate. Nobody talks about the hard way. It's the same thing. It's not just a narrow gate. It's hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's hard. And, and that's what he's getting at in this parable. That's what he's getting at in this parable. The average yield time, by the way, in the, at that point in history, the average yield would be seven to ten fold. So if you planted a seed, a grain, uh, uh, and, and it grew grains, and you would expect from that seed to get as much as seven to ten fold. So for him to say a hundred fold would be mind blowing. They'd be like, what? For him to say 30, even the lower number, he said 160, 30, even the 30 would be uh, more than what was expected by far. But note that he's not expecting the same from every seed. Not everybody's got to produce the same amount here. MacArthur said this, said it this way. He said, not all believers are equally fruitful, but all are fruitful. Not all are equally fruitful, but all are fruitful. What does fruit look like? We're almost finished here really quick. What does fruit look like? Well, there's a lot of ways we could go around talking about that. We could go look at this and that and the other thing. But it all cooks down to two things. Two things. A changed and changing life, number one. So a life that's been changed but also changing. You're continuing to grow. You didn't just suddenly sprout up and, hey, look, we're good here. No, you're continuing. So a changed and changing life. That is one. And the other one, other example of fruit is a desire for more people to have what you have. Or you could look at it this way. Number one is you look like Jesus more every day. And number two, you make disciples. That's fruit. You look like Jesus more every day. And number two, you, you have a burden, a heart for making disciples. Look, look how it goes. The seed produces a plant. The plant produces a fruit. The fruit produces seed. The seed scatters repeat. Every fruit has seed in it, right? Uh, or or it, what the analogy I always like to think about is a sunflower. You know, it's one plant. It grows up from one seed. And you've seen them all. You got this great big head on the face of that sunflower, and what's all over it? Seeds, tons of them. And when the time's right, it dumps those seeds, and just like the sower, they scatter in the wind wherever they go. Some will fall on some surfaces, some on others, and some on others, but some will find soil where they can grow. And so that one sunflower has the potential to produce, I don't know how many, hundreds of other sunflowers. Uh, but maybe it only produces 50. Maybe because of where it grew up, it only produces 20. Maybe it produces 40. Maybe it produces 80. But those seeds produce something. So the same 
thing he's saying here. The seed goes in the ground. You put the word into the heart of somebody. It should, therefore, then grow in their heart, mature in their heart, and then produce the same seed in others. It should go to other people. Discipleship is not something you receive so you can be good fruit. It's something you can produce good fruit with. It's a tool, an opportunity you have, not just to come listen to a sermon or be part of a small group, need to do those things, but it's intentionally sharing Christ in your life with somebody else, investing them, investing in them for some period of time so that they can go and do it with other people. That, that's what it is. And that's what he's getting at here today and what he's telling his disciples. So let me close this up. If you guys want to stand up with me and we'll um, pray and, and sing another song, but... Um, I, I want to ask you guys again to, to close your eyes. I do this every week, and I, I'll continue to do it. Uh, not to be weirdly spiritual, but just so that uh, we can take a minute before we uh, get done and, and, and focus. I know there's people coming up on the stage and setting up. That's not about hiding that. I don't care if you watch that or not. I just want you, uh, like myself, to, to pause a second and, and, and to process some of these things that's been said. The Word of God is full of mysteries. And those mysteries are are there to be discovered. They're not there to to be mystical and creepy and weird or, or bizarre. They're there to be discovered. And the reason they're there to be discovered and the reason that they are mysteries is because it's exciting. Or it should be. To know that there's more. That if you dig down deeper, you'll find more. If you dig down deeper, you'll find more. If you dig down deeper, you'll be like, oh, now I see. Now I get it. That should excite you. It should make you want to share that with other people. Do you? Do you want other people to be excited about the gold that you found? Do you see it as gold or do you see it as your quiet time checklist in the morning? I pray that his word would be something that produces fruit in all of us. Not just, okay, we're better people, we have good character now. But that we're hungry for sharing his word with other people. That we want the seed to be in others as well. That we're we're growing for the purpose of seeing others grow. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ or become one of his disciples, then A, the seed just got thrown. The, the, the seed just got thrown. So the question is, what kind of soil are you? Are you deaf ears right now? Do you have ears to hear? Do you feel like maybe God's speaking to you? Do you feel like maybe you want to be the soil that his word can grow in? If so, then you tell him. That's what the gospel's about. Lord, I know that my life is a life of rocky, hard paths. I know that my life is a life surrounded by failure, by sin, by self-choices, by greed, by whatever it is. I don't know. Whatever it is that that you battle with in your life. And, 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 And that's the point of the cross, that Christ would take that sin on himself. As we sung in that song before, that he, he's where I belong. 
he would go to the cross and die for that sin instead of you. Do you believe that? If you do, you tell him. But he didn't just die. Dying would be, dying is no accomplishment. Anybody can die. But he died for a purpose. And that purpose was to beat death. That's why three days later he conquered it. And he's alive today. And I know that for a fact. I know it. And the question is if you believe it. And if you do, tell him. However you want. I trust that you're alive. I trust that what I hear is true. I can't explain it. I can't understand it all. But I want to be the kind of soil that takes your word in and learns it. Produce fruit in my life. However you want to say it. Lord, you are amazing. I love you. I thank you for saving me, Lord. I thank you for what you've done in my life. And, Lord, I know i got a long way to go. But the cool thing is that you continue to shape and direct me. I pray you do that for others in the room. Help us all be faithful to what your word says, and especially where you entrust us to invest in other people. Lord, let us be faithful with that. Christ's name.